the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There's some corruption underlying here. There's some things that are not right, and somebody has died. Whenever we try to do things ourselves for our own benefit, according to our own capabilities, thinking that we know what we're doing best, it's usually a mess. And when we stop and consider what does God want and what is His prescribed way and what would most glorify Him, it goes far better. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through First Chronicles. Whenever you start to think that you know best and the warnings don't apply to you, watch out. Disaster is in your path. So often we deviate away from living life God's way. And this can be for many different reasons. It may be out of pride, ignorance, or even good intentions. But as we'll learn in today's teaching, there is never a good reason to stray from God's way. Pastor Gary shares how David had to learn this lesson the hard way, but we don't necessarily have to. Just remember, my way makes a mess, but God's way is best. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Doing Things God's Way. We're going to jump in as we continue our study through the book of First Chronicles. We're going to be here in chapter 13, also looking into chapter 15. I'm going to read all of 1 Chronicles 13. It's only 14 verses, so don't cry. It's going to go quicker than you think. But I want you to see the whole story in its context, and then we'll dig out this passage together today. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to Labo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all the Israelites with him went to Baala of Judah, which also is called Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. 
They moved the Ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. And then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which in Hebrew translates outbreak against Uzzah. And David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Well, for those of you who weren't with us as we began our journey through the book of Chronicles on our way from cover to cover in the Bible, we mentioned how the book of Chronicles, when I say book, that's how it was originally written, first and second Chronicles as one book, was written somewhat as an orientation handbook for the exiles that were returning to Israel. Because remember, for the last 70 years, the Israelites had been in captivity in Babylon, which again is in modern Iraq. That is because during the period of the monarchy, when the nation of Israel was ruled by kings, they went into a deep place of darkness, of idolatry and rebellion against God. And God, as a way of disciplining the children that he loves, allowed King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to come and besiege Jerusalem, and then thereby, after he subdued Jerusalem, to take captive hundreds of thousands of Israelites and take them to Babylon. Now, it was God's design. He disciplines those whom he loves, but God had a time limit on it too. It was to be for 70 years. And so what God did was he deposed Nebuchadnezzar and he raised up another empire, the empire of Persia, a new king, Cyrus. And God put it on the heart of Cyrus to let the Israelites go back to their homeland. But it is 70 years later now. This is a second generation of Jews that have been born during the period of captivity who know nothing about Israel. And the older ones who do indeed make the 500-mile journey, though they will be few in number, will be the only ones to remember what the land was like and what the temple was like and what worshiping God was like. But the majority of those who return, and it's a small number indeed, it's only about 50,000 who go back to Israel. The majority of them have never been there. They don't know their forefathers. They don't know anything about the temple, the worship of God, the history of the kings, nothing. They are completely foreign in many ways in their own homeland. So it is believed that Ezra, the scribe, was the one inspired by the Spirit to pen the words of Chronicles, to offer it then to these new exiles who are returning here to Israel as an orientation handbook. Here's your history, here are your people, here's your God, here's your temple, here are the period of the kings and everything. Now, as a result, as we go through Chronicles, it is because it is a summary of Jewish history, it's going to be repetitive in some ways from some of the things that we read in Samuel and Kings. This is one of these stories. We have to go back now in our minds to the time period because Chronicles is reviewing history to the time when David was king. And here David is king, and he has it in his heart to bring the Ark of the Covenant, also called the Ark of God, to Jerusalem from the place where it has been, Kiriath-Jerim. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is special. It is sacred. This is something that is not just about national pride, 
But this is something that communicates the very presence of God. Here they are ready to transport this Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. And a tragic thing happens along the way. The tragic thing that happens is that they put the Ark of God on a cart driven by a few oxen. Two guys out front leading the oxen. One guy's name is Uzzah, another guy's name is Ahio, they're brothers. And the oxen get to a certain place in the journey from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem where they stumble. Oxen stumble, cart kind of shifts, the Ark of the Covenant starts to slide off of the cart, and Uzzah, doing what he probably thought was a noble thing, reaches back, steadies the Ark of the Covenant, but when he does, he touches this sacred article, and God strikes him dead. God kills him right there. Now, you know, you have to imagine this is a great parade that is happening here with thousands of people lining the road. And when somebody dies in the middle of the parade, it kind of ruins it. You know what I'm saying to you? And here's Uzzah, now he's dead. So I have written a limerick in memory of Uzzah. I offer it to you. Here's how it goes. There once was a man named Uzzah who was numbered among the Juzah. He touched the ark, it was said, so God in reply struck him dead. Now Uzzah the Juza is a loser. All right, so there you have So no, don't applaud it. Don't encourage me. I'm a mess. Don't encourage me. But anyway, so there you have it. So a little limerick to Uzzah. So here he is. He reaches back. He touches it. God strikes him dead. God kills him right there on the spot. Now we have to understand this story in light of a few questions that we're going to answer. Here's the first one. What exactly is the Ark of the Covenant? For those who may not be familiar, what is the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant? Number two, why were they transporting it from where it was to Jerusalem in the first place? Number three, what was it that Uzzah did that was so wrong that God would kill him for it? And number four, what did David do to remedy this situation? Because that's the other part of the story that we'll see later in chapter 15. First things first. Again, for those of you who are familiar with this, it'll be somewhat of a review. But the first thing we need to understand is what is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant basically described for us in the book of Exodus was a sacred article that God told Moses to build. And God was very specific about its design and dimensions. What we read in the book of Exodus is that it was made of acacia wood and then it was overlaid with gold. The dimensions of this box were about three and three quarter feet long, two and a quarter feet wide, two and a quarter feet high. The lid on this box, also called the atonement cover or the mercy seat, was made of solid gold with gold cherubim, which are angelic creatures fashioned on the top, on the lid. Now, these creatures here, these are basically small little versions of what angels at least the order of the cherubim that the Bible talks about, may have looked like with wings outstretched. God even said, he was specific about it, they should be outstretched, facing each other, heads down, wings touching. And then within this box, within the Ark of the Covenant, were kept articles to remind Israel of the history. The Ten Commandments were kept within it, a portion of Aaron's staff that had miraculously budded, and a sample of manna, which was the food that sustained the Israelites in their wilderness wanderings between Egypt and the Promised Land. And manna is just Hebrew for Krispy Kreme. And the importance of the Ark of the Covenant, though, is this, and this is the most important thing to understand. The importance of the Ark of the Covenant was that it represented the very presence of God. Because it says for us there, you saw it as I was reading through it, verse 6, 
that this was the place, the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. You know, even the Jews today, out of respect for the proper name of God, will not use the proper name of God. They will often just simply say Hashem, which means the name. We all know who we're talking about, the name of God, Hashem. Now, this, therefore, was a representation of the very presence of God because God was enthroned between the cherubim. In other words, there were times where his presence would manifest, not in a physical way, but in a supernatural kind of a spiritual way, hovering over the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. Seven times in the Old Testament, it talks about how God is enthroned between the cherubim. Even Isaiah in his visions saw cherubim and also another order of angels, seraphim, encircling the throne of God. And so God's presence would sometimes manifest in a miraculous way over the Ark of the Covenant. So this was a very sacred object here to the Israelites. They didn't worship it, but it was something that represented the very presence of God. And therefore, David wanted to relocate the Ark of the Covenant from where it was in kiriath Jerim to Jerusalem because he wanted the presence of God to be central to the nation. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant from where it is to the capital city of the kingdom, because we want God to be central to all that we do. Now, why was it even in Kiriath-Jerim to begin with? Why was it there? Why did it have to be transported from where it was to Jerusalem? Kiriath-Jerim, by the way, about 13 miles from Jerusalem. For those of you who were with us in our study through Samuel, you remember how it got to Kiriath-Jerim. But as a refresher or new information to some of you, here's how it got there to begin with. Bible says to us that there was a particular war between the Philistines and the Israelites. Now, the Philistines were perennial enemies of the Israelites. The Philistines were not God-fearing people. They were God-forsaking people. They were pagans. They worshipped their own gods. On one occasion, during one battle, the Philistines subdued Israel and captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it home like plunder, like a trophy. The Philistines carry home the Ark of God and they put it in their temple to their false god whose name was Dagon. Now the image of Dagon, the statue of Dagon, was half fish and half man. So it's kind of a strange looking creature. You know, in fact, every time you'd look at it, you'd say, Dagon. But anyway, so... So there they bring the Ark of the Covenant into Dagon and they're worshiping Dagon. They've got the trophy. This is great. Well... God doesn't think it's so great because this is an article that is sacred to him and sacred to the people of Israel. So what does God do? God has a sense of humor, friends. All right. You need to laugh a little bit. God has a sense of humor because what he decided to do, you're familiar, I'm sure, if you went through Samuel with us on this study. What did God do? He basically said to the Philistines, you have no right to have possession of this. This belongs to me and my people. So for you to get the message, I'm going to afflict you. And he afflicted the Philistines, the Bible says, with tumors. Now, that's the NIV translation, and I would never laugh at somebody who is diagnosed with a tumor. That's a scary word in today's culture. But NIV is actually trying to be gentle. The King James Bible says that God afflicted them with emrods. You guys remember what the emrods were when we studied through Samuel? Emrods are hemorrhoids. 
That's funny, folks. I'm telling you what, that is just funny. God is going to say, all right, every time you sit down, you're going to remember this is not supposed to be something you hold on to. Send it back. Give it back. And all the Philistines end up getting these hemorrhoids. This is, this is just funny stuff. Now, the new people are like, I can't believe he just said this. And so, all right, let me just get to the bottom of this. And um, all right, I'll bring it to an end. Just bear with me. I'm just saying all this in preparation for the next part here. Anyhow, here we go. All right, let's move on. <laughs> just pray for me. But anyhow, so, so the Philistines are breaking out in the emrods, and what they decide is we need to give it back to Israel because this is ridiculous. Maybe their God will have mercy on us if we just send it back. So they do. They put it on a cart driven by a couple of oxen, spank the oxen, and send it into Israel territory. Now, the first place that the oxen go, it crests over a hill, and the first little village, little town it comes to, is Kiriath-Jerim. The men of Kiriath-Jerim seed the Ark of the Covenant, unmanned, driven by these oxen, on a cart. And they're all excited. This is wonderful. God has brought back the Ark of the Covenant, the sacred object, to the nation of Israel. They offload it, and they take it to the house of a guy by the name of Abinadab, who happens to be a priest, living there in Kiriath-Jerim. That's where it will be for almost 70 years. The Bible says that it stays there for 20 years, but that really is a reference to 20 years leading up to the reign of Saul. Then 40 years of the reign of Saul, it stays in Abinadab's house. And then the reign of David. We're about seven and a half years into the reign of David. And he says, we need to bring up that ark from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. 20 years, 40 years, seven and a half years, 67 and a half years, almost 70 years it was at this one guy's house. David says, we need to make God central to the nation. And I'm going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Chronicles doesn't give us the number, but Samuel does. Second Samuel 6 tells us he gathers 30,000 of the Israelites to Kiriath-Jerim for this great and grand parade back to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. So I want you to imagine the streets lined with 30,000 people. And it tells us here, there's a great fanfare here. They're, they're celebrating with all their might. They are rejoicing. They are worshiping. They got the music going. Look at verse 8. It even lists the instruments. We have harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, trumpets. So we can get an idea of some of the people in the crowd because you got tambourines. So we got the Pentecostals there. So that's good. We got them going. And it says we got liars. So we got a few politicians in the crowd too. And then something terribly goes wrong here. Something terribly goes wrong. In the midst of all this parade and the hoopla and all this, the music and the worship is all going on. All of a sudden again, the oxen stumble. The cart shifts. The Ark of the Covenant starts to slide, and Uzzah, thinking he's doing a nice thing, reaches back and steadies the Ark. And when he does, God strikes him dead. Now, you have to seriously consider, at that moment, how everything comes to a screeching halt. I mean, you got 30,000 people who are cheering and people who are singing. I can just kind of hear all the instruments going, yeah, like, what in the world just happened? Everything stopped. You could probably hear a pin drop. You have now... Uzzah, who is dead in the middle of this procession, he's out in front leading the cart. The Ark of the Covenant is on the back of the cart. He's dead now. And what happens is the Bible says that David experiences, the Scripture reflects two emotions. His first emotion is anger. It says David is angry. 
He's angry, no doubt, because he's angry that God has killed him. He's experiencing emotion here. Listen, God is a big God. If you've ever been angry with God, I'm not encouraging you to be angry with God, but I'm just letting you know God can take care of emotions. And sometimes you might be angry with God because you don't understand what has happened here. David was angry with God. God can take his emotions. God can take your emotions. The second emotion we see, though, is he was afraid of God. It says in the passage, and then he was afraid because he thought, well, then how can I ever bring up the Ark of the Covenant? If God's going to be killing everybody that I use to bring up the Ark, how am I ever going to relocate this properly? And he's afraid of God. He's like, I don't want anybody else to die. He's angry and afraid. So what does he do? Bible says then that he says, all right, we're not going to go any further. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, and we're just going to put it off on the side of the road here. Nearest house was a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. We're going to put it at Obed-Edom's house. We're going to park it there. The Bible says it stays there three months while David just seeks the Lord. What went wrong? What in the world happened here? He doesn't understand. Now, we have the perspective of Scripture to understand what's going on here. What's going on here is that there's some flesh involved in this. And when I say flesh, what I mean is there are some people in this scene who are doing things their own way, not God's way. And they are doing it for their own benefit, not God's benefit. Now, I know that they've incorporated worship in this whole thing, but don't misunderstand. You know, worship doesn't just cover over corruption that might be underlying. There's some corruption underlying here. There's some things that are not right, and somebody has died. Whenever we try to do things ourselves for our own benefit, according to our own capabilities, thinking that we know what we're doing best, it's usually a mess. And when we stop and consider what does God want, and what is His prescribed way, and what would most glorify Him, it goes far better. Here's some of the flesh we see involved in this scene here. First of all, they're transporting it the wrong way. They're not supposed to transport the Ark of God, the sacred article, on a cart that is hauled by a couple of oxen. That is not God's prescribed way. What was God's prescribed way? Many of you know this as we've made our way up to this point through the Bible. God had a prescribed method of transporting the Ark of the Covenant, and it was this. It was only to be carried by the priests. That's the Mosaic law. Only the priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they were to carry it by hoisting it on their shoulders. There were rings on the sides of the Ark through which poles were passed, and then the priests would hoist the Ark of the Covenant, holding the poles up on their shoulders. That's how it was to be transported. That's what God said is the way to do this. That's the way you're supposed to transport the Ark of the Covenant. The wrong way is the way they were doing it. The way they were doing it was hauling it on a cart driven by oxen. And you can ask yourself, why were they doing it the wrong way? Because of the influence of the Philistines. Where'd they learn to do it the wrong way? They learned to do it the wrong way because that's the way the Philistines sent it over when they were afflicted to get rid of it. They put it on a cart driven by some oxen. And now when it's time to relocate it, the Israelites are imitating the pattern of the Philistines. Please hear me on this. The Philistines are godless people. They don't worship the Lord. They don't seek the Lord. They want nothing to do with God and the people of Israel. They represent the world. Folks, there are a lot of 
worldly ideas out there. Not every idea in the world is wrong, but we have to be very, very careful as Christians that we're not living our lives simply imitating the pattern of this world. Our standard is to be God. Our standard is to be His Word. And we have to be very careful. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We've been studying through the book of 1 Chronicles, seeing the history of Israel and the life of King David from a new perspective. We hope you continue to join us as Pastor Gary takes us verse by verse through this Old Testament book. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also be able to hear more teachings from Pastor Gary in this book and several others. We'd also like to tell you about our mobile app. You can have Bible-based, God-revealing teachings with you wherever you go when you download our app to your iPhone, iPad, or Android. It's always great to add some encouraging words to your day, especially when the busyness and stress of each day weighs you down. You'll also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. When you like and follow us on social media, you'll have some great encouragement added to your newsfeed. We'd love to connect with you, too. Feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500 and let us know how we can be keeping you in our prayers. That number, once again, is 703-771-1500. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time on Cornerstone Connection for more from the book of First Chronicles. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know, still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.